Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you today and ask that you be with us as we begin this new study in a book that for many people is fascinating or confusing or scary or in any number of those things and other emotions that we might feel when we hear and think about this book. We ask that as we read it, we would have your spirit guide us and direct how we come to understand it in order to best take the words that you had given John to write so that we can understand and have our lives transformed and continue to grow along the way of Jesus. So we ask that you to speak to us and for us to respond today, Heavenly Father. We ask this all in your Son's name, who lives and reigns with you, one God, lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. One thing I really enjoy is behind-the-scenes glimpses, uh, whether that's uh, special effects for movies or even just on, you know, some DVDs and now on even some on YouTube for sure and other um, platforms on the internet, you can easily find uh, behind-the-scenes interviews or discussions about special effects or even the writing process, or you'll hear directors and uh, writers and actors talk about characters and the, the reason that they did certain things. And all of that is really interesting to me. Behind the scene looks, uh, they give us a perspective into the movie and help us, uh, I think, judge how genuine it can be. And it helps us to see, I mean, in one thing with movies, you know, is always this idea of the movie magic. And when they show us what happens behind the scenes... Some of that magic goes away, but then there's the interest, I at least for me, in, in being like, wow, I cannot believe that that's what the movie did look like. And then with all these special effects, that's how they got that result. So that's something I'm really interested in. And it's an opportunity for us to get into the minds of the creators, specifically with films and shows. But behind-the-scene glimpses are also an opportunity to learn uh, the truth so another kind of behind the scene that I like to look at is the recording process for bands. Uh, and now with, with YouTube specifically, I mean, bands would sometimes do this, but now it's so much easier for them to get behind the scenes, like recording, like when they're recording songs or whenever they're in the studio. And you can see some of how it goes into bands making music. And one band specifically that I've liked since high school, they've actually started uh, going through old albums that they've written. So they'll sit down, uh, a couple bandmates will sit down. They'll have the original, so when you record music nowadays, it's mostly it's recorded in a program called Pro Tools, which is basically just, uh, it's tons and tons and tons of different tracks. And they can put as many tracks as they want in there, and then, you know, some of them stay, some of them they just, they mute. But they're sitting there with their original tracks and they're showing you how they made the song. And they're talking about things. And one thing I appreciate about this band is when they were looking at the song that made them famous, the song that made it on the radio and really got them noticed, 
the lead guitarist, who has a reputation for being a very good guitarist, um, he looked at the solo and he said, just so everyone knows, he's like, this is not, he said, it looks like it's one take, as in he played it in one, one time. He sat down and played the whole thing. He said, just so everyone knows, that is not true. He said, there, if you saw how this really looked, there'd be lots of little lines where I had to go back and replay things. And he said that there's parts of that solo he can't even play live. He said he's learned to play most of it, but there's still parts he's like, I could never do this live. And I think that, for him, takes a little bit of humility to say, you know what, I wrote something I can't even play. So you hear me and you think I'm playing it, but really, it's something that's been cut and pasted and put together. And, he, he, and this, is not, he's, this is not the only band that does that. That's what most music is today. Um, it's just like that. Um, but he, at least, is willing to be honest about it. And he also said that he's learned, I don't want to write music that way anymore because I want to be able to perform what I write. But that's just a glimpse into the behind the scenes of the process of bands writing. And that's just the kind of stuff, I don't know, for me it's something I'm just really interested in. And with YouTube it's just out there so much more than it ever used to be. But what if I told you that these behind the scenes looks have a lot in common with the book of Revelation? Now that's something maybe we wouldn't know what to think about. And this is why. It's because Revelation is the ultimate behind-the-scenes glimpse at life. Revelation is the ultimate behind-the-scenes glimpse at life. So what does this mean? Well, for us to understand, we just need to jump in. So if you want to take out or watch, look on the screen and turn to Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. It's the very last book. It's not hard to find. We're going to take a look at this book, and we're going to see how Revelation is the ultimate behind-the-scenes glimpse at life. So, there's not much to say about the book before we start. We've got it up here on the screen, and the important things that I would normally say before we read will all come out as we read. So let's just start here. And Ryan, we'll just keep this screen because I'm going to, at the end of this, I'll pause so you don't have to change it when we get to the end of it. So this is how it begins. The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave to him or gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. All right, now there's a couple things we need to talk about, and I have them highlighted. The first one is the word revelation. This is where the word for our title, the book, comes from. So it's not revelations. A lot of people call it revelations. It's revelation. Uh, now, the word that's Greek, that's translated revelation in our English word, or in our English Bibles, is the word apocalypsis. So you hear that word, now that might sound familiar to you, apocalypsis. That is where we get our English word apocalypse. Now, we need to understand what apocalypsis means if we're going to understand what the book of Revelation is. Alright, so usually, when we hear the word apocalypse in our English language, we think of one thing end of the world and the events surrounding it. There's all kinds of movies about apocalypse. Um, I mean, there's the movie called Armageddon, which is a form of that. Now, that, word, that movie is, you know, Armageddon is a different word from the book of Revelation. But it's all associated with this apocalypse. Or nowadays, um, what's really popular is zombie apocalypse movies and shows where basically there's zombies, you know, that take over the world, and then it's a story of how people try to live in that world. 
Uh, one of those shows is called The Walking Dead. It's really, really popular. But this is what our culture thinks of when they hear the word apocalypse. And it's because of the book of Revelation. Now this is the thing we need to know. Apocalypsis does not mean the end of the world in Greek. The most basic meaning is unveiling or revealing. That's what the word means. It's basically this idea of something that's being hidden being revealed. That's what the word is about. Now, in the first century, if you were living in the first century in Jerusalem, you would have known a lot about this word apocalypse because there was a lot of what's been known to be called today apocalyptic literature that was circulating during the time of Jesus. Now, the first book that's like this is the book of Daniel. Now, if you've read the book of Daniel, there's those weird dreams that Daniel has throughout the book. There's the stories we all know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Daniel and the lion's den, the writing on the wall, we all know those stories. And then in between, there's these crazy dreams. And this is apocalyptic literature. Now, there's lots of other apocalyptic literature in the first century that is not in the Bible, but that you can find on the internet if you just go look for it. And you read it, and it sounds just like things you read in Revelation, just like things you read in Daniel. There's also some other passages in the, in the Old Testament associated with Apocalypse, some passages from Ezekiel and some of the other, or other, um, uh, other prophetic books. And then there's that weird passage in Matthew chapter 18 where Jesus talks about how people will be taken away, and he talks about how people will be snatched up, and he talks about how there will be signs and then you'll know that something's going to happen about the destruction and the returning of the Son of Man. That passage is also apocalyptic. Now this is what we need to know about apocalyptic literature. And this is what's so important when you want to understand Revelation. Apocalyptic literature is intentionally full of images and metaphors. It's supposed to be that way. Instead of just telling you what's going to happen, they tell you with images and metaphors because it's supposed to evoke inside of you a certain type of emotional response. And what usually was happening with uh, the Jewish people writing apocalyptic literature in the time before Jesus, within a couple hundred years of when he was born, is they were hoping to be set free from Rome. So they would write all this literature about being set free. And they would use this imagery of, uh, and it's really a lot of it's just imagery from Old Testament prophets. But it was these different ways of talking to say, hey, God is going to deliver us. So that's what the word revelation actually means. So this is an apocalypse from Jesus or an unveiling of certain, some sort of mystery. And then he says, which God has given him, and it must soon take place. Now, for the must soon take place, uh, that for one, I think, remember, this is written 2,000 years ago, so I don't think soon is, we don't know when it's going to happen. For most people, Revelation is about the future, about something that's happening years from now, hopefully. But then why would, why would it be soon for the people it was written to? 
and uh, in a little bit, it's going to say uh, some of it will take place very soon, and some of it will take place later. But it's important for us to, to process and, and have in mind that this book had to mean something to the people it was written, or else it was perp- there was no purpose. If this book is about things so far in the future that the people who received it have no way of meaning anything to them, well then why would it have been written for them? All right, let's get, keep going. Uh, the first verse continues. He made it known by sending his angels to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw. That is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. All right, we can leave it there, Ryan. So, so we have this revelation, and it was from, God, from Jesus, and God gave it to him so his servants would know what's going to take place. And he made it known to them by sending his angel to his servant John. All right, so this, um, and this will become clear in the next verse, but just so you understand what's happening, this is basically telling us that the book was given to this servant John as a prophecy. It came to him, and he was supposed to give it to people as a prophecy. Now, we've talked about prophecy recently. Uh, And remember, prophecy, we think about prophecy as always being about the future, about predicting things that's going to happen in the future. That's how our culture has come to think about prophecy. Every time we read, at least when I was younger, when I read the prophets, that's what I was thinking about. This is some weird thing I'm going to decode to figure out the future. Biblical prophecy is almost always written for the people to whom it was written, and it's almost always about their current situation. It's usually either encouraging them in a time of trial, or it's rebuking them because they need to return to the way of God or face judgment. So in that case, it seems like it's about the future because God says, I'm going to do this to you. And the reason he's saying that is he's saying you need to repent. So it's not necessarily about predicting the future as much as it is about warning and saying this is what's going to happen. So the book of Revelation falls into the category of encouragement because of the situation of the first century audience. Now this is important because Revelation is not primarily about the future. And I know that that's not what we've always been told and that's not always what we've heard and that can be frustrating, but it's not about the future. Revelation is the ultimate behind-the-scenes glimpse at life. And this glimpse is connected to the events currently happening in our lives and also the events that were currently happening in the lives of the first century audience. And then this is how Jesus, or how it continues from Paul, or from John, I'm sorry. You can go ahead, Ryan. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. So Revelation is an apocalypse. It's an unveiling of secret mysteries. It is a prophecy written to people to encourage them. And it is written with the expectation that people will be obedient to the way of Jesus. Remember, I talked about this at the end of the sermon last week. About how Revelation is a challenge to live a certain way in the world. Now this is where we get this. Look, blessed are those who read aloud the words and who hear it and take it to heart. As in, understand what the message is and live their lives according to that message. So it's not about primarily about predicting the future. It's about what is going on in our lives right now. Remember, it's a behind-the-scenes look at life. This is what's really happening. And this is how we need to live our lives because of what's really happening. 
So this is how the book's preface. Now then it goes, now you can go ahead, Ryan. In verse 4. John, to the seven churches in the providence of Asia. You can leave it there for a second. He'll get it. Here we go. So John is, uh, now this is another thing we need to know about Revelation. It starts like a letter. John, to the seven churches in the providence of Asia. So this book is a letter written to seven churches in what is today modern-day Turkey, what would have been in the first century, Asia Minor, which is the provenance of the Roman Empire. It, in letters in the first century, were always written for a purpose. So the way we talk about Revelation, it's a, something about the future, and then it's going to be a letter to a bunch of churches, and they're going to be like, we don't know what this is about. But that's not the case. They knew exactly what it was about. We're the ones that can't understand it because we don't always understand what the imagery is about. Go ahead, Ryan. So then he continues, Grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, now seven spirits is going to come up later. That's why he's using it here. From Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Now that's going to be important too. Go ahead and Ryan. To him who loves us and who has freed us from our sins by his blood. And has made us to be a kingdom and priests. To serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. You can leave it there. Or if there's a blank, you can go to the blank. Alright, so that is what is called in letter writing the greeting. And all that's to say, Revelation is a letter. It is written to seven churches in Asia Minor. And if we're going to understand Revelation, we need to understand what's going on in those churches in Asia Minor that is causing John to write the letter. Think about it. Every letter that Paul wrote, there was something going on in those churches that he needed to talk about. Or they had questions they asked him, so he's writing to answer their questions. Or he's trying to correct some teaching he heard they were exposed to. There's always a reason. There's some reason in these seven churches that John is given this message to communicate to them. So what that needs to register in our minds, and I'm trying to make this clear, is that Revelation was written to these churches. It was not written to us about the future. It was written to these seven churches... We had very specific situations, and next week we're going to learn about those situations because the first two chapters is a, a specific letter to every one of those churches. But inside and underneath what's going on in those churches is the answer to why this book was written. But it's not only to those churches, because this is what he says next in verse 7. He says, look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him in all peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. Is there more? I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is coming, or who is to come, the Almighty. So that is um, this little section that's using letters, but what, what matters about it is there's all this imagery. Now, we don't get this, but... The one coming on the clouds is from the book of, I think, Ezekiel. It's prophetic language. 
And then there's this other bit about the one who will have their, their, who will be pierced. You know what, actually I'm pretty sure I have it on the next page, that's why I didn't say this. This is all from the book of Daniel. Actually, that's what's coming in a minute. So this first part is from Ezekiel. But John is associating with those passages, and he's communicating something about them. And what he's communicating in this particular pass, this specific situation, is he's saying, look, these Old Testament passages that we know that reference these ideas about the people who have oppressed God and who need to be, who need to be brought to justice and people who need to respond and all the people of the earth who will mourn because of him in association with this not just being about the churches in Asia Minor, but it's also about what's going to happen later in the world when these, all these passages from the Old Testament about God eventually returning to Israel and all nations bowing down to him, all of those things get grabbed and associated with what's going to happen in Revelation. So remember, Revelation is the ultimate behind-the-scenes glimpse at life. So even though there's a first century audience, there is a sense where Revelation is about every generation that follows. So we're not completely wrong in knowing that we're supposed to be associated with it, but we need to remember that it's about the first century audience first. And then John continues. Now this is where he really starts his vision. He says, he says, I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are, that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, Write on a scroll, scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Pergamum Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea, so those are the seven churches that receive the letter. Seven of the eight biggest churches in Asia Minor. And John was someone they would have known. And he also tells us that on the Lord's Day, which would have been Sunday, we think, the first day of the week, he's worshiping or praying, and all of a sudden he receives a vision. So this is how um, this comes to him. It comes to him as a dream or a vision, which in the first century was common. For people to believe that visions and dreams could communicate to you about something. Now continuing with verse 12. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man. Dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet. And with a golden sash around his chest. Now this is where the apocalyptic language comes in. And we read it and we're like, what in the world is this? The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and the eyes in his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I felt his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. 
I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. So right there, that's our first taste of, of apocalyptic literature. And I am not going to go through and explain all of those images to us. Only because uh, if we did that, the entire book, we would never get through it. And we're already going to be doing a very, very big overview of it to begin with. But this is where I meant to say earlier, this is all from the book of Daniel. These images. So you want to have a, a sense of what's going on, why this is being referenced. We'll go to the book of Daniel, I think chapter 7. And... Then with that, you got to be like, well, what's going on here? And then you got to do a little more work to understand what that vision's about there. But this is the way the apocalyptic language works. It's supposed to create images, the wool, white wool, eyes blazing like fire. It's power. A double-edged sword coming out of his mouth, as in his words are what he uses as his weapons. So we see these are the sorts of images that we're going to be coming across. But what we need to understand from this is that the vision is coming from Jesus. That's very clear. He's the one who was killed and resurrected. He's the one that holds the keys to death and to Hades, which is a reference to say he's the one who's overcome death and has power over death. That's who the message is from. And then this is what he's told to do with the message. Verse 19. Right therefore you have seen what is now and what will take place later. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand. All right, remember the seven stars? And the seven golden lampstands is this. Okay, so this is important also because often we're like, well, what do those things mean? Well, if you keep reading, they're usually interpreted. Not always, but often. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. Now, we still don't necessarily know what that means. And the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Okay, so that's going to become important next week as we go into chapter 2. But just know that Revelation often interprets the images. The seven stars are seven angels. And the churches that were mentioned earlier in the book are the, the lampstands that the, the angels are appointed for. But this vision given to John by Jesus was for the people of God. And what it is, is it is a peek behind the scenes. Revelation is the ultimate behind the scenes glimpse at life. So as we look at this book, and we're not going to be able to look at every chapter specifically. There's probably going to be lots of things you wish I'd explain that I won't have time to explain because when you get into those tiny details, it's so easy to miss the picture. So what we're really trying to do, at least this first time through, is grab the picture. But if you want, I encourage you to read along throughout the week. Next week we'll be looking at chapters 2 and 3. But when you're reading, keep in mind that first, Revelation is an apocalypse, which means it's a type of literature in the first century where images and metaphors are used to uncover hidden mysteries. And what that's going to be about is we're going to get a glimpse at what's going on in the world that we can't see. That's the mystery that's being uncovered. And also, Revelation is a prophecy, meaning it's a word from God to his people, in this case, in order to encourage them in times of difficulty. 
And third, Revelation is a letter, meaning that it's specifically written to a group of people in history, and it cannot mean today what it did not mean then. Let me say that again. It cannot mean today what it did not mean then. So if we're trying to read things from our time into Revelation, it first has meaning in the first century. And that's so important. If we keep those things in mind, we'll have a good reading experience. It'll be challenging, but we'll be set up to read Revelation in a way that's responsible. Believe it or not, there's a book called Reading Revelation Responsibly. It's an excellent book. It's small. I mean, if you want to check it out, I have it. But it will help us ground this book in its original message, which is so important. Because Revelation is the ultimate behind-the-scenes glimpse at life. And it does have things to say about today because some of the stuff it talks about, once we understand it in the first century, then we can begin to look at it in our own life and be like, oh, okay, and see how it connects. Revelation is the ultimate behind-the-scenes glimpse at life. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you today as your people. And we're looking at this book, which is a letter you had that was written to seven of your churches in the first century that were facing challenges not unlike our own. Whether that be the challenges of losing people they love when they turn to follow you, whether that's being faced with some sort of challenge from local government leaders because of the potential for a revolt to Rome, whether that's just a misunderstanding of what they believe, or whether it's actual persecution and threats for their lives. Those are the kinds of things that for us might not always seem real. But then there's also these churches that were facing the call to conform to the way of life in the Roman Empire, to compromise what they believed because it was easier or because there was some sort of gain to be given. And Lord, as we read this book, may it challenge us on both fronts. May it challenge us and give us comfort when we might feel like we're singled out because of what we believe. But may it also challenge us to reconsider how we live and how we interact with our culture. We ask this on your Son's name, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.